Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, June 11th, 2021, from the book of Revelation. So I had this idea I wanted to do, like for the next bit, it was just a book that has been helping me um, understand why not to be anxious. And it was a book that was written for people who had every reason to be anxious and giving them reasons why not to. It's the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. So I wanted to read, okay, I just want to read some of it to you in How do you say this? In the Lord, this is super weird. Okay, are you ready? This is from chapter 13. Just, and the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. And it had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns, and each head a blasphemous name. And the, beach, the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like a bear and a mouth like a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his authority. And one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound that was healed. And the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. And the people worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked who is like the beast and who can wage war against it. We're not in Psalm 23 anymore, are we, Toto? (laughs) This is from chapter 17. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said, come and I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters with the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated by the wine of her adulteries. And the angel carried me away into the wilderness in the spirit and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast covered with blasphemous names and she was dressed in purple and scarlet and glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls and held a golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the abominations and with the filth of her adultery and the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and the abominations of the earth. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So this is from chapter 7. And after this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hand. And they cried with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down with their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Lord, just, wow, there is so much, but um, that we might come away today encouraged would be a work from you. So help us to understand something of this, something of your heart, something of your love in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, the other day, oh gosh, it was Thursday. 
so it was after my surgery, so I kind of have a little bit of excuse, but we were, so Tina and I were watching the Braves, and it was one of those games where they were, they were playing the Mets, and they were down 6-3, and then they were down 9-5, and then they were down 9-6, and they just kept coming back. And then in the ninth, Orlando Arcia, Orlando Arcia tied it, he tied it up with a home run in the ninth, it was 10-10, to and then, in the 10th inning, Ozzy Albies, well, there was, so there was a guy on second, and then, and then, who was it? Somebody walked to first, and he hit a three-run home run, and I cried, and I did, I so, and maybe Tina did a little bit too, but um, it was just one of those things where I didn't know that was going to happen, but it just got me. It was just so emotional. I mean, it was just, it was just a thing. I remember one time we we went to see um we went to see this movie um it was a dog movie which i don't really like dog movies we went to we were watching marley and me and um i i quit it in the middle because i knew this dog wasn't going to make it to the end of that but he was so outrageous i just thought you're not going to be sad enough when this movie's over you better stop now because i thought this dog is terrible but the, but this was an, another movie it was a guy's memoir of his life as a kid in mississippi in the 1940s called my dog skip and he doesn't even die in the end of the movie this little dog doesn't even die and i don't and but there was something, that little dog came around and bit me on the backside and, and I just started sobbing. It was like the saddest movie I had ever seen. And I was just sobbing. And Tina had, we kind of had to wait until everybody left to leave the movie just because she was embarrassed to be out with me. Like, like you are so ridiculous. But you know how something, every once in a while you're not expecting it, but something just makes you emotional. So there's something that happened, it was a couple of months ago, but it, 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 it always happens to me. There, but um, I was at Carolina Point, which was the Young Life Camp, I think, where our kids were this past week and doing, doing what they call a family camp. And we had a really big night and um, I got to play the banjo in front of everyone and I had a little solo and I absolutely killed it. And it was super awesome. <laughs> I was very thankful for that. But then also, um, they, so they give everybody ice cream and you walk out under the stars and stuff and they do a fireworks thing. It's a fireworks exhibit, but they do it to music. And so they did like Katy Perry and firework and all that. And they're doing the fireworks exhibit that goes to that song. And then they had Ray Charles singing America the Beautiful. And the fireworks were that song. Like if that song was a fireworks display, that's what it would look like. And then they played Louis Armstrong and... I see fields of green, red roses too. And the fireworks were just, if that song was a fireworks display, that's what it would be. And just, it just made, it always makes me cry. It just, it just gets to me. So some, one scholar said, when you read the book of Revelation, it's not really telling you anything that you don't already know 
from the rest of the New Testament. It just, it tells you in a different way. It tells you in pictures. It tells you like in images. It's trying to wake up a different part of your brain. It's kind of like political cartoons. Like if you read the first page of the paper and it's telling you what's happening and then you look at a political cartoon and it's a great big elephant and a donkey and they're kicking each other. Or there was a guy named Thomas Natz who was probably America's greatest political cartoonist, that he's the reason why we think about Santa Claus the way we do, because before him, Santa Claus was skinnier and grumpier, but um, he's the one that made him jolly and everything, but he went after a guy named Boss Tweed, who was a political operative in New York City in the 1860s and 70s, who ran a thing called, called Tammany Hall. And the, they were taking so much money. I mean, when they built the Brooklyn Bridge, they took half the money wound up in their bank account. And they, they had a contract to build City Hall. It was $275,000 in the contract. It went up to $13 million and it went into their pockets. And so he used to always draw these cartoons of Boss Tweed and like as, as if he was um, Caesar and they were in the Colosseum and there was a lion that was Tammany Hall and it was about to eat like America, you know, and he was going thumbs down and all that stuff. And he, but he wound up getting arrested and then he escaped from jail and well, they caught him in Spain and brought him back. And, but, um, but anyway, but it was just kind of like, it was just the way he said it and it just kind of, it, you know, it just like wake up everybody's mind. And I think so like the book of Revelation, it's almost like if you take a book of, if you take a book of the New Testament and you turn it into a fireworks display, this is what it would be. It's loud and colorful and bright. Like for example, if you took the letter Okay, so do you all know the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, right? So, and the Philippians were, Philippi was really, Philippi was a city that had been conquered by the Roman Empire. I mean, they didn't, it was called Crenidus. That was the original name. Until they were conquered in a battle in 168 BC, it was like 40,000. They were of the kingdom of Thracia. They were the ones who had invented that thing that if you put all the shields together, you can make a big square out of it and just push through like another army. They were that, that's where the Romans got it was from them, but they were fighting them in that battle. It was kind of fighting on a hill and it's hard to keep a square together on a hill and they got creamed and everything. And so they changed, so that's where the, they changed the name of the city. They changed the language that they had to speak. They changed the clothes they had to wear. They were just conquered. It became a military base. Philippi became a military base. And lots and lots of their resources went to the empire. So they were poorer than they would have been if they hadn't been conquered. And, um, you know, they were just conquered by the Romans. And Paul was writing them from prison in the capital of the Roman Empire. And if, jo if John, in the book of Revelation, when he talks about the Roman Empire, he's like, I can't really say the name, but do you mean Babylon? Are we talking about 
Babylon, the city on seven hills, the great prostitute and mother of all abominations. Is that who we're talking about? Who's dressed in purple and red and gold and pearls and drinks from the golden cup of abominations? Is that who we're talking about? You know, because he's like, that's the way God kind of saw that whole thing. I mean, like the Roman Empire was, it was 50 million citizens that were basically serviced by 20 million slaves. And I mean, all the glory of Rome and their glorious monuments. But if you, like the, like the aqueduct in Segovia, me and Austin and Amy Morgan, we stood underneath it. And it was 11, it was built in 100 AD, and it was 11 miles long that brought water to Segovia until 1973. And it's just like 93 feet tall and 167 amazing arches. But if you're willing to take people and consider them enslavable, and consider them expendable, and consider them disposable, you can make a lot of things. And Paul was, the reason that he was in Rome is that he had been arrested for sharing the message of Jesus that Almighty God had become a human being to be the savior of whoever, whoever needs, everybody needs him, but whoever wants a savior. And the Roman Empire had been, they pretty much accommodated everybody's like religion, who cares, as long as you don't have anybody higher than their top guy. But these followers of Jesus said of him that he was king of kings and lord of lords. And the Caesars of Rome, there wouldn't be long before Domitian and and Diocletian, and they would start to call themselves that. And it's like, so he was arrested. And because he was a Roman citizen, he had a right, and he claimed it, to have his trial before the Caesar, before Nero. And John would have said, I can't say that name because it would get all of us in trouble. But are you talking about the beast? Are you talking about the one? It's a word that means the wild animal. Are you talking about Mr. 666? And everybody knew who he was talking about. Like there was that they had a thing where if you wrote somebody's name, like if like if you took Caesar Nero and wrote it in Hebrew and Hebrew letters have numeric values and added those numeric values up. It would spell 666. And in the book of Revelation, like all the letters are symbolic. Like four is the symbolic number for the earth, the four corners of the earth, the four winds of the earth. And 12 is the symbolic number of God's people. And there's one place where there's lots and lots of God's people. And it was 12 times 12 times 1,000. And three was a number that was symbolic of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Seven was the number of perfection. Six was the number of human beings, imperfect, inadequate, incompetent. And it's a number that kind of means if an inadequate, imperfect, incompetent human being was trying to take God's job. If I ran this world, you know what I, I would do? Now that I do run this world, you know what I'm going to do with it and what they always did 
was for the sake of personal wealth and power, begin to exploit and oppress people who were poor and powerless. And it's always kind of been that. There was a certain place he talks about, he talks about this beast having a wound, but it was healed and he came back. And when Nero died, there was always the rumor that he was going to come back to life. And everybody was kind of expecting that to happen. And John would say in certain ways, there always has been that guy. There's always been Charlemagne and Napoleon and Mussolini and Pol Pot and Idi Amin's and Hitler's and just those people who said, if I ran this universe for my personal wealth and power, I would exploit and oppress the poor and the powerless, and they always have. But the book of Philippians is a book that talks about how, um, how, how to be a joyful person. Like it talks about it more than any other thing. And so Paul is writing to the, to the Philippians and basically said, guys, you can rejoice. I'm really working on your joy. Like you can even have joy in a Roman colony. You can have joy in a Roman conquest. I'm having joy right now in a Roman prison. How to have joy in the Roman Empire. And in a certain sense, the book of Revelation is a book that talks about how to have joy in Babylon. Like how to have, it's a, it, there's, a, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there is a lot of singing in the book of Revelation, there are lots of places when everything's going bad and everything's getting dark and difficult. There are certain points in the book of Revelation where the curtain all around this dark world, there is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. In the book of Revelation, heaven is not a place like far, far away. Heaven is all around us. And there are certain points where the curtain is drawn back. That's what the word revelation means, the, the pulling back of the veil. It's what the apocalypse means pulling back of the calypso of the curtain so that you can see into the kingdom of heaven all around us. And there are just certain moments when everything is difficult and dark and you see into the kingdom of heaven and there's loads and loads of singing in chapter four and chapter five. They're singing, singing praises to the one who sits on the throne and to the lamb saying, worthy are you to receive glory, honor and might and power and strength strength and wisdom and blessing. In chapter seven, it says, thanks be to the Lord God who was and is. In chapter 11, it said, who will not give thanks to the Lord our God, the king of nations? Who will not fear him? Who will not praise him? There's the certain, there are in 1822, a guy wrote the hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. And it quotes directly from Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 4. And then in 1852, a guy wrote, Crown Him with Many Crowns, which is a direct quotation from Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 11. In, in 1742, Handel wrote, 
the Messiah, Handel's Messiah, and you know the hallelujah chorus, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's just a direct quotation from Revelation chapter 11 and Revelation chapter 19. And it's filled with singing, people that were having an extremely difficult time, but they were filled with singing. And one thing that I've learned in, I don't know, people that I've known and places that I've been, is that often people who love Jesus in the world, who live in places where they are exploited and oppressed, where they are powerless, where they're poor and powerless, but they love Jesus and they sing louder and they sing stronger than anybody I've ever heard. Italian, like old Italians and old Italian in old Italian churches, the old people remember what it was like to meet in the woods and to meet in boats on the river because their faith was illegal in the days of Mussolini and they were persecuted for it. And when you hear them sing, they sing those old hymns, da, da, Alla patria mia lontana, son ramingo e pellegrino. There's, and they, they sing as loud as they can. There, I had a church, oh, when we were over there, it was a church of Arabs. It was young Arabs, mostly, mostly Egyptians. My friend Antoine, he had had to leave Beirut. He grew up in the Civil War in Beirut in the late 1970s. But a lot of the Egyptians had had to leave Egypt because of discrimination and what would be almost persecution. But the way they would sing, the way they would sing praise to the Lord and the way their singing was so one of the greatest they had a pastor whose name was Pastor Latif who was the pastor of the Arab Evangelical Church of Long Beach California but he had been in prison under Anwar Sadat and they had gotten their money together and flown him over to do a conference and we were at a Salvation Army Conference Center up near Como there was no heat it was about 20 degrees but the way they sing and the way they praise and their songs are so full of love. They're almost out of the Song of Solomon, that Jesus, you are my beloved. And they sang and sang and sang for an hour or more, and I've never been in anything like it. There was, I was, there was a, there's a song that I've come to love. It's, it was a song that, that, that was written, it was written by a guy named James, well, James Weldon Johnson in Jacksonville, Florida in 1900 for, for a little African-American. It was written for an African-American elementary school choir so that they could celebrate the birth of Abraham Lincoln. And the, this guy and his brother were down in Jacksonville and they just wrote a song for that day. It's come to be known as the African-American national anthem, but it's just a hymn. And it, written for people who were having a hard time. And it, it says, lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring, ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us, facing the rising sun of our new day begun. Let us march on till victory is won. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path we pray. 
Least our, okay, so these are elementary school kids singing this. Least our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. Least our hearts drunk with the wine of this world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God and true to our native land. Wow. People who have struggled the most, I think, and who suffer the most and who are the most powerless and who love Jesus are those who can sing the most. They always do and they always have. That's how Paul and Barnabas, when they were arrested at Philippi and they were thrown in prison and now what do we do? Complain what good would it do? Let's sing praises to our Lord. And the guy that had beat them and thrown them in the prison listened to their singing and said, these guys have something that I don't have. And sometimes as you read the book of Philippians and as you read the book of Revelation, you wonder, how do you have joy in Rome? How do you have praises in Babylon? And one thing that both of those books of the New Testament tell us is it's going to be over soon. In the, in the book of Revelation, it said this is only going to last for 1,260 days, or it's only going to last for 42 months, or he, a certain group, he said, this is only going to last for 10 days, and then a new world is coming, a, a world of love, a world of justice, a world where all tears are going to be wiped away, and there's going to be no more sorrow, and no more hunger, and no more thirst, and the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd you, and those days are coming. There's a place, there's a place in chapter 18, and Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It, this is not going to be this way forever. There's a place in chapter 18 when Babylon and all the kingdoms of this world fall. When Jesus comes to make it the kingdom that it was always supposed to be, but never has been. And they're going to be so sad because they're losing all the things that they value so much. And he said they're going to weep over their gold and silver and pearls and their bronze and their citron and their precious woods and wood and their aloes and cinnamon. And there's 29 items in this list that starts out with gold and it ends up with incense and frankincense and myrrh and cattle and sheep and horses and the things they valued least, slaves and the souls of men. But in chapter 21, there's coming a day when the kingdom of Jesus comes to this earth and those who were walked on for gold are going to walk on streets of gold. So it's not going to be this way forever. And another thing that you learn as you read both of those books, as you read the book of Revelation and you read the book of Philippians, that in the midst of all of it, in the midst of a world that can be oppressive and exploitive of people who become poor and powerless because of it, but God is always working and God is always doing something and in the places where it gets darkest and in the places where it's the most difficult in those places in those times that's when people really start to flood into the kingdom of God and people are trusting in Jesus around the world every day all day long, but it's mostly in places where they're having a more difficult time. There's a place in chapter five of the book of Revelation that 
where the lamb takes a scroll and begins to open seals and out of these seals come horses and it seems initially like this is the judgment of God on the earth and then when you read about what it is I don't know if I really am super sure about that because he opens a seal and out comes someone on a on a white horse who has come to conquer everyone and then there comes, and that's what's always happened, that people have always conquered everyone. Why do you have to conquer? The last time I was in Germany, and I was on a train, and it's such a beautiful country, and I thought, why couldn't they have been happy with this? Why do they have to conquer everyone, and ruin everything, and kill so many people? And then there comes a red horse, which is bringing war that comes when people conquer everyone. And then there's a black horse, and out of that black horse is economic iniquity when people get richer and poor people get poorer and it just gets worse and worse and then a pale horse and all of the death that comes from it and all of the, you think about World War I, 35% of the German men between 19 and 22 died. 25% of all the men in France died. One household in three in Great Britain lost someone in their family in that war and it's just and it almost gives you the impression that it's kind of like Romans chapter 1 where he talks about the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and he just gives them over it's not that he's doing it he just okay if y'all want to do it just do it if y'all want to be this way, just be this way. But when he says that God gave them over, it doesn't mean that he gives them up because he gave Jesus for them that maybe someone down the road will be, as they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm sick of this. And I'm sick of all of this. And I, my heart is open to Jesus more than ever before. And that's what happens. Like It's what happens in the book like there's a, a place in chapter 17, I think, where it's just where the beast, he talks about all the authority that he has above everybody from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And in chapter 19, people from every tongue, tribe, people, no, in chapter 14, people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, and he has all this authority over them. But there's, and, and they, and then there comes a place when you see the curtain of heaven opened and around those thrones, all those people who were so poor and powerless from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation have come to worship him. There's a place that talks a lot in chapter 18 and chapter 19 about the kings of the earth that the kings of the earth are who are in alignment with this beast and they make war against the lamb. And then when, the, when, the, when Jesus comes out of heaven in chapter 19, the kings of the earth wanna make war against him. But in chapter 21, when Jesus comes and takes over this world and all of those who all, it says all of the nations, all of the different ethnicities who have been saved by him are marching into the new Jerusalem and marching in that line with their little gifts to bring are some of the kings of the earth. And they've accepted him too. And Paul said, you know, he was, he was in prison in the capital of what John would call Babylon the Great, the Roman Empire. 
And he says in chapter one, God is always working and God is always moving. And, and he said, you know, I want y'all to know that like as far as talking about Jesus goes, this has been a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm like, how could it be a good thing? Like you're a missionary, now you're in prison. But he said, no, it's encouraged people to talk about Jesus more. And I've been guarded by this guard called the Proterian Guard. And they are the special secret service of the emperor, of the Caesar. They live in the house of the beast. They are like, they live in Nero's household. And they're listening to me talk about Jesus all day long. It could never have happened in any other way. And there's a place in chapter four, the last chapter where he's saying goodbye to everybody. And there's a real kind of cryptic little verse in verse 22 that it says, those in Caesar's household send their greetings. They're finding Jesus in the house of the beast. It's like, wow, how could that have happened in any other way? Sometimes I, you know, I just, I think about, about times that have been so difficult. There was a person that I just really loved. Um, his, his name was Festo Genever, and he was the bishop of Uganda who led the people of God through the horrible persecutions in the 1970s of Idi Amin. And during that time, there were so, so many people in Western Uganda that came to know Jesus. And he was the one who led them when it was the darkest and the most difficult. But God is always moving. And he talked about a certain point that they were in a village called Kabale. And there were some political prisoners that were going to be executed under the orders of Idi Amin. And one thing that they did was they always made everybody in the cities and villages come into the soccer stadium and they always had to witness it, to witness these um, executions of people being shot because they had become enemies of Idi Amin. And, and Bishop Festo had asked if he might be able to pray with people before that happened, and they had granted him permission. And so 3,000 people were in the stadiums. It was the last place in the world they wanted to be. It was the last thing in the world they wanted to see. And he went out to talk to these three political prisoners, and he said when they turned around, their faces were filled with sunlight. And they said, they said, Bishop Vesto, when we were in jail, we heard the message of Jesus Christ and we have accepted him as our Lord and Savior. And now we know today is the day that we are going to heaven. And he was telling, he was translating this for the guards and who were going to do this. And he was sharing with everyone, they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And today is their day for going to heaven. And the guy said to all the people in the stands, if you you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This would be a wonderful day to do it. And so many already had. And as they stood there to be shot, they waved to the crowd and they waved back at them and they went to heaven. So that, that's happening. That's, it happens every day. So this is gonna, not going to be this way forever. And God is always moving. And, you know, I just, I just was thinking myself about one thing. If I wanted, th the most joyful I am in the world, in the world, I just, I feel like if we want to be the most joyful, if you want to have the most joyful time you could possibly have, this is what I wish, we're living in the time between um, the kingdom about to come 
and the kingdom's about to crumble. And we do live in a time when there are people that are poor and there are people that are powerless because they've been oppressed, because they've been exploited for a lot of different reasons. They're disfavored. And if I could have anything, any wish I could ever wish, it would be everybody, like everybody in our country who believes in Jesus, who loved Jesus, that we would get on the front lines of loving people who were poor and powerless because they are the ones who are flooding into the kingdom of God that says in the book of Proverbs, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves for the rights of the destitute. Speak up and defend the rights of the poor and needy. Jeremiah 22 says, rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who is oppressed. Defend the cause of the poor and needy. Isn't this what it means to know me, says the Lord? To loosen the chains of injustice, Isaiah said, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, to see the naked and clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break out like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. <sighs> the reason is because I think there's something about connecting with a person, looking someone in the eye that you've connected with, who is powerless, who is disfavored, but who is in the image of God and people don't appreciate him or her, but you do because you're in the image of God and, and he is a God of love and you're just caring about them and loving them. It gives you a happiness that you can't feel in any other way. I remember a guy was with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. He was a journalist. I think it was Malcolm Muggeridge. He wrote a book about her when he was 85 called Something Beautiful for God, but she would get people lepers and the, the, the untouchables in the streets and they were just so, it was so awful and he, she would tend to all their wounds and take them into their convent and care for them until they died and he was pretty much grossed out by all of it and he said I wouldn't do this for a million dollars and she said neither would I but there, but the th I think the thing about it is, if we give ourselves for justice and fight for the cause of the poor and the powerless, it's not that we think that we're going to bring in the kingdom of God because we're not. That's not going to happen till the king comes. But it's just when you love people that other people don't. They will listen when you talk to them about the one who will make this world the world that was always supposed to be. One of my favorite people, I'm kind of in love with Victorian English evangelicals. They were like so amazing. The things that they did. My favorite, Anthony Ashley, the seventh Earl of Shaftesbury. And he was a parliamentarian. His parents were terrible. He came to know Jesus by his nurse. But he, but he fought for the rights of chimney sweeps, little boys that they would shove up chimneys and they were naked and they would die when they're 17 from testicular cancer. And from children, seven, eight, nine, who were 14, 19 hours, naked in coal mines and fought for the rights of people who lived in what they called lunatic asylums and he just fought for everybody he fought he said I will use whatever means I have to fight for the rights of the poor humans and animals he said but he just loved Jesus and I think about a night when he was he was 
going to West Castle, which was the poorest region of East London. And everybody loved him because he fought for the right of the poor. And he did a talk. There were 500 people there in the crowded in this auditorium using what they called a magic lantern, which kind of sounds like an IMAX theater. It was a lantern that turned, and I think it cast shadows on the wall, but they thought it was CGI and all that stuff. And, but he just told them stories about Jesus and, the, and Jesus suffering on the cross. And they listened, listened enraptured and because they loved him, because he loved them. And they would listen when he talked about Jesus. And he told them, showed the story of Jesus knocking on the door. And he said, Jesus is knocking on the door of every castle, of every home in White Castle. Won't you open the door to him? And so many did because he loved them. Anyway, oh, so now we're having communion. And I don't know where that leaves us, except we have a beautiful message, right? We have a beautiful message of a Savior who loved us and gave himself for us because we were a mess. And I just want, gosh, I just want, as we take this bread and take the cup, you don't have to be a member here. You just, all we ask is that you know in your heart that you've believed in Jesus in your heart and, um, and take the bread and take the cup and just say to Jesus, you do love me, don't you? You did love me, don't you? I am clean, aren't I? I want to love people and share this message as long as I live. But won't you come? But Jesus, I am resting, resting In the joy of what Thou art And I am finding the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee, and my beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me
face upon me as I work and wait for thee resting neath thy smile Lord Jesus earth's dark shadows Yeah, yeah.